This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along this week. We welcome KKLA in Los Angeles to our the number of radio stations that are airing us. We're also broadcasting in Phoenix and Las Vegas and also in the United Kingdom. And so maybe you're wondering, who is Blazing Grace? Well, Blazing Grace is a ministry to persons who struggle with porn addiction, sex addiction, adultery, just about any kind of sexual sin we we have a team uh, spread throughout the U.S. There's around six of us, plus we have volunteers to serve the ministry, so altogether we're probably around 10 or a dozen. We, we also have international ministry partners in Europe, uh, based in the U.K. and Italy, and also in Austria. They publish my books in Italian and in German. And so what we do is people come to us from all over the world, basically, who are struggling with porn addiction and any form of sex addiction. And we see people from ages 10 to 80 in the church coming to us for help. So sometimes we'll get a call from a mom who says, my teenage son is addicted to porn. We need help. What do we do? And when I say 80, I'm I'm not – that's not – it's an exaggeration. So porn addiction finds its way into every age group. We talk to a lot of 40, 50, and 60-year-olds on average who come to us for help, although these days we're getting more and more youth who are coming to us for help, and that's, that's a great sign because the people who get hooked on this stuff, they get hooked at the age of 8, 9, and 10. I would say the average age of exposure for most men who come to us for help the first time is the age of eight. So mom and dad, if you haven't had the sex talk with your kid and he's nine or ten years old, it's probably too late because kids are getting smartphones now at the earliest age of five and six. And all it takes is one kid at school to say, hey, look what I'm looking at, porn, to your sweet little boy or girl, and then they're ruined. And then if they don't tell you, it can form an addiction immediately and quickly. So blazinggrace.org is our website, and there's a ton of articles on there that I've written. I founded Blazing Grace actually in 2000. It began as just a Christ-centered support group. Then in 2004, put the, the website up, and then right after that, man, it just blew up. <laughs> and actually, a lot of the emails, more than half, were coming from wives at, at that time, and and we put a big emphasis on the wife's healing. 
And what we hear from a lot of women who come to us is there's, there's little to nothing for wives out there. Those who focus on helping those with porn addiction, they often you know, jump on helping the men, which is great. But if the wife doesn't heal, the marriage can still be lost. So the wife is a critical part, and I've been saying for years that the key to resolving or turning around the porn epidemic in the church is the wives. And the reason that is is because when the man finally discloses what he's been going to, and usually they're married, they, you know, they get hooked as a kid and they don't tell anybody, get married, don't tell their wife when they're married, and then in 10, 20, 30, 40 years into it, uh, they get caught or there's an exposure. And then when that happens, the wife wants to see the husband get help now because it is very painful for her. But uh, unfortunately, what we see with many men is they just they stall. The shame is very powerful, and and they hem and haul. And some, guy will, some men will take years to get help, and I'm talking pastors too. We have plenty of pastors who come to us for help, and we get contact from pastors' wives. And every level of the church has porn addiction infesting in it right now. And when COVID hit in March 2020, we just blew up, I mean, with groups and counseling and everything. And so there's plenty of articles and videos on the website. I've written nine books. Uh, Seven of those are on recovery from porn and sex addiction for both the man and the wife. And by the way, men are not the only ones who struggle with this. Women are the fastest growing segment segment of porn users there is right now. And then we also have an eight-week course for men. And what that is is we pair the guys up in the groups of, in the groups of pairs of two, and they, they're given four to five assignments to work every week with an accountability and support partner. They pray with their support partner every week. And then we have also a 10-week wives course, same thing. The ladies have four to five assignments Every week that they work with another wife who's going through the same thing that they're going through. And so those who make it through these courses, and they're very intense, they're not for people who want to play games, have seen their lives change and make significant progress. And so information on those courses is available on the website. We do counseling, individual and couples counseling. We also offer a two-day intensive. I speak at churches. I've given the Sunday morning message at churches and the conferences. We offer a From Porn to Grace conference. So we're in the front lines in this battle. And, <laughs> boy, there's a lot of spiritual warfare in being in a ministry like this. Even just today, it was just rough getting here and showing up. But I kept praying and fighting my way through because, you know, the thing with this issue of sex is the enemy has a big stronghold in the church, especially in leadership, where we hide this topic and we don't talk about it openly. We do not equip people on how to be effective warriors and overcomers. So if you're a church and you think, well, I do verse-by-verse teaching, and um, I'm telling you right now, that's not enough. Because for one thing, if sex isn't on your verse-by-verse radar for a couple years— During those two years, you're still going to see a lot of people in your church and your flock, their lives being destroyed because you will not deal with this issue. 
So we have to go back to what is our mission as a church? Teaching is not the mission. The mission is to make disciples and to be a part of God's work to set captives free. Go read Isaiah 61, which Jesus verified when he was in his synagogue. We're not being a part of God's work to set captives free. And we're not talking openly about this. So this is a part of what we do. We challenge and we encourage and we equip churches and people everywhere, men and women, to open up about this. The the days of keeping this stuff silent, they're long gone. And <laughs> I'll get in the next week I'll get into it more on the statistics, but the modern church is just corrupted with sexual sin. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story to get going. I was brought up in a Christian home and but my family had a lot of problems, and uh, there was abuse in a number of places. And and then uh, at the age of 14, as I was staying home, I was molested by my mother. And when that happened, something just snapped in me that I just couldn't, I couldn't, my, my mind could not accept that this really happened, that that this family member that I trusted just did this to me. And, and then the memory was buried. And then at that point, I, I internalized the idea, well, this is what the Christian life is about. I want nothing to do with it. So I walked away from God and threw myself into uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I grew up in the, the 70s and 80s as a teen and in my early 20s. And and. Soon discovered, this is back in the days you had to go buy a magazine to look at porn, that the local 7-Eleven didn't mind selling a youth, Playboy or Penthouse or those magazines. So um, I started buying those and figured out how masturbation worked and threw myself all the way into it with daily binging at least once a day. But um, pictures weren't enough. There were one-night stands. There was sex with prostitutes. I picked up uh, gonorrhea from a one-night stand at, uh, from a woman I met at a bar. And then there were plenty of drugs and alcohol and, and drinking, even one night drinking to the point where I got so inebriated that I slept in my vomit. And then in my early 20s, God just started calling me out, out of all that mess. And and I walked away from the drugs and the alcohol and with the drugs, there was pot and there was cocaine and there was LSD and angel dust and just about anything you could do that did not involve a needle, I did, hash. and. But I walked away from the drugs and the alcohol. I mean, those hangovers just ugh, awful. Who wants to wake up with a roaring headache? That's just like insane. So I walked away from the drugs and alcohol, but I could not walk away from the porn and the masturbation. But I figured, hey. I'm doing this solo. What difference does it make? Um, I'm not hurting anyone. And 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 then I so I stopped dating Christian girls. I mean, stop. Got that backwards. I stopped dating girls who are not Christians. I walked away from the drugs and the alcohol. I started going to church again for the first time since I was a youth. Started started getting to God's word every day and praying every day, but. Porn and masturbation were, were there every day. And then I met the woman who I eventually married in 1989. Her name's Michelle. 
we got married, and like most naive young men, I figured that, well, once I can get married, you know, I can have God-sanctioned sex. That's going to fix all my lust problems. Well, um, delusion, because sex just, I mean, that marriage made it worse. Because when we get married, we bring in all of our false coping mechanisms, as well as the good ones, all of our baggage. And, and a lot of the times that doesn't come to the light until after we get married. And so my coping mechanism for all of life had been porn. And so, you know, we start the inevitable, inevitable fights and friction from two different genders raised by two different dysfunctional families. I mean, every family is dysfunctional. Every family has sin patterns and that are different. And so if you pretend that yours is not, then, you know, um, denial, <laughs> it's impossible when you have sin in the mix. So we started fighting and arguing, and then six months into the marriage, I was binging on porn and masturbation all over again every day, and I felt so awful because here I am. She she thinks I'm this great Christian guy, and I just feel like a low hypocrite. Here I am, you know, six months into my marriage. Well, a year and a half into a marriage, I go on a business trip and and make a long story short, pictures wasn't enough one night because lust always leaves us emptier every time than before. And I had sex with a prostitute in a hotel room in Ohio. And and then after that, I was just torn up with guilt and shame. I felt dirty and filthy after that and couldn't believe I'd gone that far. And as I've learned the hard way, lust will always take you further than you thought it would. So I told my wife, this was 1991 when that happened. And she just started crying and sobbing on the phone and saying my name over and over and over again. And to this day, that phone call still um, tears me up that I did that to her. And so for the first time in my life, I realized I got to get help. (laughs) I can't do this on my own. And we went to a marriage conference put on by our church. And I thought uh, maybe I'll share a little bit with somebody, the guy who's leading the conference, and he's this pastor who's leading it, and he's all happy and smiles, and during a break, I walk up to him, and I'm going to take a chance now, and I'm scared to death, Um, shame all over my face, and and I say, I I mumble the words, Um, I have this problem with pornography, and as soon as I said that, the smile just vanished. And then he got angry, and he nearly ripped me and said, just stop doing it. Just stop. And I I just walked away in shame because I knew I was in way too deep to just stop. And if I could have just stopped, I would have. And so I thought, that's it. I'm done getting help in the church. (laughs) So this was the days when we still had the yellow pages, and I looked up the phone book and found a 12-step group. And this was 1991 again, and I'm driving to the first meeting, and I have all these visions of these sleazy-looking guys. Maybe some have been to prison. Maybe they're all child molesters or rapists. I don't know. All this stuff is going through my head. And so I get there, and everybody asks to introduce themselves, and 
all around the room, all of them were Christians, all of them in the church. One had been a senior pastor, one had been a worship leader. And I was just shocked. I was like, we don't hear the words porn or sex in the church. And how could this be? And, and then they came to me and you're supposed to say when the last time you acted out was and I lied. It had been three hours and I told them three days. And But for the first time in my life, I had a place where I could share and be open without getting reamed. So I hung out there for a while and it helped. Made a, It made a big difference for a while. And I got a year and a half worth of abstinence from porn and masturbation. And then I went on a business trip, which is where I had a big problem with falling in that isolation in the hotel rooms and lost it, binged on porn again. And then I went three years uh, without acting out. And then I lost it on a business trip. Only this time, uh, I didn't get it back. And by the way, I grew up in Southern California, so this is old stomping grounds here. Uh, the first 30 years or so of my life was in Southern California. And in 95, we moved to Colorado. And once I, we moved to Colorado, I lost all my support system and started going to the SA groups there. But nothing was taking. And um, so the next three years, I floundered. I would binge once a month, maybe once every three months. Uh, I wasn't binging once a day at that point, but I was just as miserable. And I hear some guy saying, well, hey, I'm only doing it once a month. What's the big deal? And um, committing adultery once a month is sin. And once a mo- doing it once a month is still going to be putting, letting it hook you. So if you're a, a casual porn addict, you're still – you're letting that have a piece of you. And it had a big chunk of me, even though I was, quote, unquote, only doing it once a month. And I was still empty and still miserable. So with the time I have to kind of speed it up a little, in 1998, I go on a business trip and I look at porn, but I don't masturbate. And I'm torn up because I didn't masturbate, but so what? Because looking at that filth online just destroys the soul. So I came home and I talked to a guy who is a part of the SA group. And he said to me, uh, well, at least you didn't act out, meaning that I didn't masturbate. So according to the st- sobriety standard of the group, I was still sober, even though I looked at pornography. And, and then I realized at that point the light went on that the 12 steps had taken me as far as it could. And then I just broke. I had spent eight an eight-year journey looking for freedom. I'd done everything man had told me to do. I'd gone to endless support groups. I'd mentored and sponsored other guys, made phone calls all the time. I'd worked the steps backwards, forwards, sideways, and tons of counseling, a lot of hours of counseling, a lot of thousands of dollars of counseling, read my Bible every day, prayed every day, God, please you know, forgive me, cleanse me, release me, set me free from this, and got involved with mystery, ministry, doing, you know, doing good things, and I came up empty. And at that point, I just broke. I just said, God, you're either the God you say you are who can change lives, or this whole church thing is a crock. 
And at that moment, he showed me, and literally, I made God my last hope. This is it. Either he comes through or there's just no hope. So he's, he showed me a picture of my heart, and it was pitch black. There was, there was nothing good in it. You know, I'd been going to church years, but there was just nothing good in it. And, and then he showed me that I had never been 100% all the way in to running from lust with everything I had. Yeah, I, I'd done all that stuff I mentioned, but I hadn't gone after God hard. And, and then he starts putting all these verses in front of me. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Seek the Lord in his face. Seek his strength continually. And there's all these promises in Scripture. He just starts putting out in front of me and from different directions. Like, if you go after me hard, you will find me. And, and, then, the, and then I finally started getting the idea. God's inviting me to seek him. And I realized all my life I'd sought money. I'd sought ministry success. I'd sought Bible knowledge. I'd, you know, even I'd memorized Scripture. I'd done a lot of good, you know, focusing on being a really nice guy, which always leaves us empty because, for one, I couldn't do it anyways. And so I just started going after God hard for the first time in my life and just said, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going after you hard. You said to seek me, so I'm going to seek you. And just two weeks into that adventure, I'm reading through the book of First John. I'm in First John 4 where it says, he who abides in God, abides in him. God is love. Whoever abides in God, abides in him. And I just got depressed. I said, why is it, Lord, every time I read about your grace, I get depressed. And right away, the Holy Spirit said, because you don't believe it. And I had a lot of scripture memorized and knowledge, and I knew it. But at that moment, I realized God had been saying to me all my life, I love you, and I've been saying, no, you don't. You're like what I grew up with and all the abuse. And then what happened was it was amazing. I received the love of God in my, the core of my heart for the first time in my life, even though I'd been in church for 10 years. And this incredible burst of joy flooded in my heart. And even today when I share it, when I'm speaking, I can choke up. I shared at a pastor's conference two weeks ago, and I choked up when I shared this. So ever since then, it's been an amazing run. And after God filled my heart with his love, I figured, um, wow, I'd love to help some people. But, you know, I must be a freak here because churches don't talk about porn or sex or masturbation. Heaven forbid, and then I started doing all this research and finding out that in 1999, the surveys were coming out with half of Christians reviewing porn, and I was like, half? How can it be half? Well, today, my friends, those numbers are two-thirds of Christian men and around 20 to 30% of Christian women are viewing porn. So on this radio program, we're going to be digging into these issues and others, spiritual warfare, the occult, and all the things that we need, God's people need to be equipped on. So let's go to war and let's make a difference and let's make an impact. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, 
counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.